a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. You ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. We are speaking with the one and only uh, Michael DeBars. Of course, you can hear him on Sirius XM. And, of course, uh, his band Detective has a new record store release coming. Well, the first Detective, it comes out on April 23rd, as we say here in Montreal. Bonjour, Michael. Comment allez-vous? How are you? Bonjour, bonjour, mon ami. Uh, Detective is from the past. Yes. Detective came out in uh, 1977, which is 1977. Many, many bands ago. <laughs> yeah, a long story. Now, I mean, I, I, I was going to talk to you about, you know, uh, Checkered Pass and Silverhead and Michael DeBar's band and all that. But I do want to focus a little bit on Detective, since it is the one that's finally coming out on, on vinyl for Record Store Day. Um... Talk to me about the about the making of this because you were signed to Swan Song, which of course is Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, the whole thing. How did you get noticed by the Led Zeppelin fans or bands or or, or entourage? I had nude photographs made and sent them <laughs> to um, Peter Grant. Oh, that's the way to do it. No, I'm kidding. I, you know, I was in this band Silverhead, fantastic yeah. band in, in what, like 72. Right. And, and we were playing around town and we, you know, started to really get a vibe going. And, and we were up in Birmingham and we did this club because we wanted to conquer the north of England as much as the south of England. You know, it's really a civil war there, or at least it was pre-Beatle. You know, once Liverpool became the vibe, you know, then England sort of coalesced. But we're in Birmingham in this club. There's 20 people in the club. And four of them were Led Zeppelin. Because Bonzo had a a farm a a couple of miles away from the club. So they'd heard about Silver. They came to see us. And... They they loved what they saw. You know, there's literally 20 people in the room, four of them. <laughs> Let's have it. So it was really spectacular. We were really, really happy. We went over to his farm and we stayed there for a couple of days and went crazy. And that's how I sort of met him, uh, Jimmy. And, you know, I have the deepest respect for Led Zeppelin. It's an amazing vibe. So when they um, got their label together and I left Silverhead, as it were, because I fell in love with Miss Pamela, who wrote, I'm with the band fame, you know. And then I came to L.A. to live with her. And Zeppelin came over. It's a pretty crazy story, man, because she got a soap opera, went to New York. I went to live with this very interesting manager guy, very wealthy guy, terrific guy. Let me live in his house in Benedict Canyon. And um, he got this guitar player, Michael Monarch. So I started to work with Michael. Michael knew Bobby Pickett and John Hyde, incredible bass player and drummer, John. And we put a band together, went to SIR, the rehearsal studios, jamming, jamming, door opens. There was a holy choir, a heavenly choir. Light shone through the door as Jimmy Page walked into the rehearsal room <laughs> and listened for five minutes and said, I have a label. Do you want to be on it? And that's exactly what happened. Wow. So, so it was sort of sight unseen. Just here, here you go. Well, it wasn't sight unseen. He, he, he could see. 
He opened the door, he looked, and he listened, and all he took was five minutes. The thing about Jimmy Page is one of the many great things about him is, is that he knows instantaneously what's happening. If you do research, and I know you do because you're brilliant at what you do, if you look back and you look at the beginnings of Led Zeppelin, within five minutes, they've written, you know, a, a song. Hang on, I'm getting constantly barraged by... It's fun. And and by the way, I actually interviewed John Bonham's sister yesterday, Deborah Bonham. Wow. Which, that's, she, that's terrific. Yeah, she's got her own little project going on with the guitarist of uh, Paul Rogers' band. And this is like, wow. I just interviewed Paul Rogers a few days ago myself. Oh, wow. I had a, a new program on uh, Sirius XM called Underground After Dark. I introduced, interviewed Paul, which was staggering, and his beautiful wife, Cynthia. And Stevie Van Zandt was in on it, too. But let's stick to this crazy story, because Jimmy walks in five minutes later. Now, we had a lot of labels after us for a lot more money, you know. But we were so in love with the magic, obviously, of Led Zeppelin and the power of that band because that's what we were big powerful bluesy you know mid-70s rock and roll yeah. band and we thought zeppelin so we were as big a fans of, of them as anyone is and fortunately we got on the label and started a record which took a year to make and cost a million dollars Wow, are you still paying that, the uh, the recoup on? No, no, I'm not paying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, you know, I've had eighty two thousand record deals, dude, and uh, you know, and I owe them billions of dollars, I'm sure. But no, uh, you know, it took a long time to make for very many reasons. A lot of difficult and dark things happened with Led Zeppelin at that time, and uh, we had to live that with them, through that with them, and. Uh, a lot of uh, sort of Jimmy couldn't make it, man, you know, to come and produce because of Robert's son and so on and so forth. Very difficult times. But nevertheless, we did get it done and we got it done twice. We recorded it once, didn't like it, did it again. I mean, that was the largesse of Led Zeppelin, you know, Francais, you know, the, there was so yeah. much. Uh, money the, and in those days too, the 70s, I mean, it was, everything was colossal, gigantic and big and uh, loads of dollar bills floating in the air of rock and roll. Now, with the upcoming re-release, is the album sort of, how can I, no, let me restructure, let me restructure that. Is, is the album updated in any way, shape or form? Have you gone in and, and touched it up and fixed some vocals or, or done some? No, so I would never no. fix a vocal. I, a, I would never fix a vocal. Okay. I would always sing it once. You know, I, all of the records I've ever made, I might go in and sing it again. Right. But I would but, never go or pop me in and go, why don't you go baby, 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 woo, just before the solo. <laughs> try that. Michael, okay. try that. I'd rather fucking kill myself than go in and go, baby, 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 woo! Was that any good? Is that better? You know, that's no way to make a rock and roll record. No, but is, it, is this new release remixed, remastered, retouched? I mean, remastered, it, it, remastered. Yes, okay. of course, because of the technology that we have today. It's cleaner, it's sharper. The sound, anyway, was done by Andy Johns, you know, yeah. who, of course, was Glenn's younger brother. Glenn Johns, of course, from Get Back and the Beatles and so on. Andy, Exile on Main Street, Yes, Please, and he did Detective. So we had no problems getting a great sound. The problems we had was we couldn't get out of the jacuzzi because we were so stoned at the record <laughs> Um you, you, of course, end up recording this song, Ain't None of Your Business, which... Yeah. 
which KISS demoed but never released, but you can find the demo on YouTube or on a bootleg and so on and so forth. Uh, talk to me about that story and, and the band's sort of relationship with KISS, because you go on, you open some shows for KISS, or you open these Madison Square Garden shows. Um, was that a fun experience? And, and did you write the song for KISS? Did they just hear it and say, hey, we're just going to steal that? No, they I mean, didn't steal it. I love Gene and Paul to this day. You know, I mean, I think the KISS is incredible. I think they did an incredible job. I mean, it goes way back before that. Me and Johnny... Thunders are in the wings. We were um, headlining in New York at some club, I don't remember which, and Thunders is with me and we're watching the open, the band who was opening for us. And the band that was opening for us was Kiss. <laughs> and we're watching, we're out of our minds on Angel Dust. It was very, very interesting evening with Johnny, who was a beautiful, sweet guy. God rest his soul. Yep. Suddenly the drum started to rise up into the air. And you're thinking, that's some great angel dust I'm having tonight. Are you feeling that, Johnny? I mean, <laughs> is the drum kick like going up in the air? I mean, are we hallucinating at this point? And he goes, no, man, that's 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 real. <laughs> you know, and we became really good friends, you know. I mean, I respect Gene and Paul so much for what they've done and who they've entertained and how they've done it. Politics, I'm not interested in talking to somebody about their politics. They can believe in whatever they believe in. This is America, you know. Right. I mean, so uh, that aside, I, I adore those two. And they were so generous to then Detective later. That was Silverhead years before. And when they became Colossus, uh, they we did a couple of tours with them. And the infamous one, of course, was Madison Square Garden, where we walk out there. And there are 20,000 people in Gene and Paul makeup, you know, so therefore there was no detective makeup. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it was, it was shocking to look out there. And what I did was after every song, I would go, I would say something like, you know, I want to rock and roll all night party every day. And they all go, ah! And so from the dressing room, <laughs> Gene and Paul thought we were going down like, <laughs> you know, really like gangbusters. <laughs> yes, and then I would say, Gene Simmons, they all go, ah! You know? So it sounded in the wings like this, the, you know, the audience was just going crazy and loving it. Well, we loved every second of it. They were great. The audiences were, were obviously huge Kiss fans, so it's hard to break through that wall. But we, we, we knocked a few bricks in that wall. Uh, Detective doesn't have a, a large discography, let me just put it that way. Why was there not more? Drugs. Drugs. Simple as that. Just destroyed the band. As simple and as complicated as that, yes. In one word, narcotics. And you guys out there who are still doing drugs, please, it sucks. It turns you into an idiot. It turns you into somebody that needs something, that needs something. Do you really want to spend your life needing something? The only thing you need is love, the love of the people around you, and especially loving yourself. If you love yourself, you will be loved. Drugs suck, and they fucked us up. And, you know, and there's nobody, you know, I'm not blaming drugs. I'm blaming the fact that I had to get lost in that world, right. you know, in order to survive, as did, you know, other members, uh, <clears throat> which, you know, that's their story. But mine was I just was incapable of, of concentration. Uh, on what was at hand and what needed to be done. 
And I do believe that they sabotaged, you know, wittingly <laughs> our career. But I, uh, but you know, things happen for a reason, right. and I believe that I learned so much from that. I got sober in 1981, so I've been wow. sober over 40 years wow. from drugs and alcohol, and I'm more stoned this morning than I was back in the 70s. <laughs> well, I, let me ask you about that, because uh, I once asked Alice Cooper this. I said, you know, you, you were drunk, you had the cocaine, you did any regrets? And he went, no, I had to do it to get to Absolutely. where I am today. That's exactly right. And so he's you're in that. He's a, he's a Christian man. Yep. He's a loving man. He's brilliant. He's an incredible artist. He has written some unbelievable songs and created some great bands. And I love him dearly. I, my wife and I were in Paris and, uh, you know, recently. And uh, there he was playing in, in, in front of a massive crowd. You know, I mean, right. Alice Cooper is, is glorious. But. Do you have uh, so so your 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 point of view is exactly the same? I did the drugs. I've been sober since eighty one, and I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, I, I you know that's true. It's called karma, you know. And you listen, you listen to these things, or you don't. I mean, the vibe is it is so corny. Hang on, I'm just turning this down. I'm constantly getting besieged. Here. <laughs> Stuff, it happens. It As happens. I'm sure you are, you know. But anyway, so um, in terms of the drug thing, yeah, Alice is uh, absolutely correct. And it's something, it's a chapter of your life. I mean, it, it is it's important to know what not to do as it is to know what to do. Right. And I think that helped me an awful lot, you know. I took a, a sabbatical and then I got Murdoch, you know, and I'm on telly on the MacGyver show trying to kill people um, and killing a few, but not all of them. And, uh, you know, and then when I got sober, I was just, I felt, uh, <laughs> I felt clean <laughs> you know, from the dirt and the gutter of uh, rock and roll. Yeah. And I've said this on the show before. I've never gotten into drugs and I don't drink. I've just, it's just not, it's not been my gig. I don't judge. It's not, it's not a religious thing. It's just not been my gig. So I'm always curious, how does one get sort of so caught into it? I mean, it, how does how did you sort of go from just having, you know, a joint in the back room to I got to get sober? Well, I think, you know, my life has been excessive in every way. <clears throat> you know, um, three marriages, you know, et cetera, or, you know, 62,000 record deals. You know, you know what I mean? Everything has been in, in excess. So if I'm going to do something, I, I have to go all the way, you know. Otherwise, I feel I'm missing something. This, If you watch my documentary, Who Do You Want Me To Be, on Amazon Prime, that that's a, a real indication of somebody who didn't have parents. Right. So there was nobody, you know, I didn't know my mother and father. So the, there was a, a real sort of sense of, of loss, and I always felt that I was searching, reaching, and I would do anything to try and get to wherever I thought I had to be. But the only place you have to be is where you are. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There is nothing else. But I always felt that I wanted bigger, better, you know, louder, stronger, sexier, you name it, you know, more colorful, all of those things. I think you just want more and more because it's never enough. You know, when, when you've had parental love, that's something else. You feel secure. So it, I suppose essentially it comes from a sense of insecurity. Right. And uh, by the way, who do you want me to be is unavailable in Canada. We've got to change that. Oh, that's a drag. I don't know I, why it is. I, I spent so much time in Vancouver. You know, I, 20 years I was in Vancouver off and on. 
Yeah. You know, doing MacGyver and doing all other TV shows. I loved it up in Canada. It's a real drag. But you can get it at michaeldebar.bigcartel.com and I can autograph it for you. Um, it's on Blu-ray, etc., etc. if you want to get it. But, oh, I'd love you all to... I'd to love see to see it. it up here. Um, since you mentioned, of course, Murdoch... Uh, quickly talk to me about moving into television and moving into film and, and away from music for a little bit there. Is it creatively as inspiring? Is it just simply different? Uh, did, did it sort of save your life having this constant role and constant work and now you sort of had a purpose rather than sort of floating in the ether? I've never floated in the ether. I can't swim. <laughs> Um, I began my career at eight years old doing commercials for Chocolate Bar in England. At 16 years old, I, I was in drama school for two wow. weeks with Mitch Mitchell, by the way. Nice. Um, who says to me one day, hey, Michael, let's go down this club. I've got this black geezer. He's amazing. Place left handy. Where's Velvet Trousers? And I went down there and my life changed. Yeah. Front row is Townsend Beck. You know, etc. Eric Clapton and Beck and Hendrix all in one room. Uh, yeah, and everybody else. You know, Peter Green and the next day they all went out and had their hair permed. But that's another story. So to answer your question, I didn't start in music. I started as an actor. Sixteen gotcha. years old, I'm into So with Love with Sidney Poitier and Lulu and all of that, and that was amazing. What it did though, it made me able to go to every any club or you know we'd go in and we'd have the best table and all that because for that that moment in time those kids they were stars in that movie was massive we did it in 66 1966 and so in 1967 i saw every band uh, yardbirds john mail alexis Cornet, you know all of it manfred man all the great bands i saw in clubs and stuff i even saw the beatles you know because wow. the beatles the BBC came to our drama school and said, we need six kids to film going to see the Beatles and, and leaving the show. So I was one of those kids. And they did The Enemy. You know The Enemy, musical, New Musical Express, British pop paper. And they would put it on this festival where you'd see Dusty Springfield, the Nashville teens, etc., and The Beatles. That's how I saw The Beatles, you know, which was obviously another you know, mountaintop, Ten Commandments, you know, what? This is, un this is unbelievable. Of course I listen to the music, but to see them and hear them and feel them and the people, the audience, it really blew my mind. And, you know, and I went, can I have some of that, please, God? Can I have a piece of this? You know, so then got a, you know, I, I got out of drama school. I was doing a nude musical in London called The Dirtiest Show in Sound. I'm not kidding. And Andrew Lloyd Webber came to it and I sang in it, you know, and he and he, he called my agent. He said, I want a meeting with him. I, I would like to have a meeting with that Michael Desbaras, you know, and boom, I met with him. And he said, you should be a, a recording artist. And I recorded the demos for Jesus Christ Superstar, the Judas, which Ian Gillen ended up doing. Yeah. And, and he got me a record deal and I became a, uh, a singer. <laughs> wow. Uh, do you have a preference between the two, though? Do you prefer oh, to be God, a singer no. or do you prefer no, to be no, a... No, no, there's no preferences. All it is is doing what you love, you know. It could be anything. I'm on the radio now for eight years, you know, every day. 
and and Stevie Vincent is the most remarkable man. Has taught me so much, and I adore being on the radio. And every now and then, I'll I'll, I'll kill somebody on telly, uh, or make a record, you know, on Stevie's label, Wicked Cool Records. Yeah, well, well tell Stevie that uh, I need a record, uh, <laughs> a radio show. Ah, oh, I'm kidding. Um, Live Aid. No, you're not. No, you're not. Uh, no, but but you know, listen. It's one of the great stations in the world, if not the greatest radio station. I'm not kidding. I mean, we play rock and soul music that nobody plays anymore, and that's what is a whole other discussion of where we are in terms of music and where we are is rock and roll is in in dinosaur danger, as I call it. You know. Um, but I do believe in the pandemic, all of those kids are learning how to play guitar. And, you know, everybody really is nothing else to do. So in a couple of years, you're going to see rock and roll come back because of that. Because guitar sales are three times what they were when they were available pre-pandemic i'm gonna i'm gonna take you up on that real quick here because we we always talk gene simmons always says rock is dead rock is dead rock is dead no that's uh, that's not true i mean that's first of all it's that's not like true saying da vinci is dead you know once it's arrived and been here in a culture you cannot say that i mean indisputably and i would love to discuss that with gene rock is not dead at all no rock is sleeping and will be awoken, and there will be a reincarnation of guitar, bass, drums, and vocalists with a fucking tambourine, and I can see it as clearly <laughs> as I can see you on but, this computer. But has it not simply evolved? I mean, and I'm going to take it back to quickly to the jazz age in the 1920s. Jazz was everything, it was everywhere, and then it sort of vanished, and now you have, you know, the Newport Jazz Festival, and the Montreal Jazz Festival, and this jazz festival. Is rock not in, in that sort of position now where... <laughs> With the new jazz? Uh, I suppose so. I mean, it's almost like saying, okay, so we had uh, Da Vinci and now we have Picasso and then suddenly we have Andy Warhol. Now, what would you describe that? What one word with three letters would you describe that as? Art. Art, yeah. So rock and roll is an art. It doesn't have to be in stadiums all over the world to be to be comprehensively understood and, and enjoyed. Will it ride the heights of Beatles? No, they'll never be that. I, I, and I say that even no. with some kind of, you know, perhaps there would be somebody that would change the world like John Paul George and Ringo. I don't know, you know, but it would probably be, you know, the Elon Musk band or something, <laughs> you know, Space Sex would be the title of their first album. But, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't agree with him on that. But he's a, a guy of, uh, you know, black or white. Yeah. He's a black and white guy. But he's, he's also not, very smart. He knows guy. that by saying that, we, he, you know, five years later, we're still talking about that quote, which is smart. Well, I'm not. You know, but, but uh, you know, yes, it's very much part of his persona. Yeah. It's very difficult to read him because he's a very clever man, you know. He's a very clever man. There's a reason he's a billionaire. And it's not just because uh, of, of, of the creation of Kiss, which I adored and still do, you know. And, they, and it's funny, kind of ironic that they still sell out stadiums and he's saying that rock is dead. Does that mean he's dead? That's a good point. Uh, and yeah um and so let me just uh, we'll finish on this then the power station of course you do live aid um talk to me about that moment and and, and having that because 
you know, people want to see Robert Palmer and they see you and, and, and you're there and you, you deliver like you never delivered before. What, 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 a, what a staggering moment in your career, right? It really was. It was an amazing vibe. I mean, it really was an amazing situation to, you know, I was on holiday. I was with Don Johnson. He was making a movie and I went down to see him and Obsession. I'd written Obsession with Holly Knight. It was number one all over the world. And I went to take a break from it all. And then I got this call, you know, saying, come to New York. There's a band needs a singer. I said, what are you talking about? What band? And he said, I can't tell you. I said, oh, how interesting. You know? <laughs> and I said, give me a limo at, uh, you know, JFK and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come. And a first class ticket. And they did. And I, I got to the, this building. I went up to the 14th floor. I go through the door. It's John Taylor and Tony Thompson, John Taylor Duran, Tony Thompson. Brilliant drummer, obviously, as you're aware, with Nile Rogers and so on. And they looked extremely depressed. And they said, well, look, we, we, Robert didn't, you know, I've known Robert Palmer 10 years before I joined the pastor. And in three days, I, did, I rehearsed 30 songs and we Jesus. went out and did live things, <laughs> the first gig and, the, you know, and then did it for the next six months. It was the most amazing film. It was so unbelievably huge, the whole thing, that I didn't even see it. I've minimalized it. There's Mick Jagger over here, there's Tina Turner, Bob Dylan, Ronnie Wood, everybody. The whole royalty of rock and roll was backstage. And that night, they all stayed in the same hotel. Can you imagine? Wow. What yeah. a hotel and, that must have been. And Phil know, Collins I, was there. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. Well, Phil Collins is interesting because he did the Zeppelin thing, which Jimmy did not like, you know. And Tony Thompson, our drummer, played with Zeppelin that, that evening. But the thing about it is, <clears> is you know, fear is self-created unless it's a you know an animal running at you but in a conscious level i knew i could do it i knew i could sing those songs i'd known robert Palmer for ages he sings it a kind of down here marvin gay kind of down here somewhere and i'm way up i'm up there with stevie marriott up there so i just sang the way i sang you know and it's somehow it clicked and after live aid the audience then became familiar with yours truly since two billion people saw it, yep. If I, I watched about that, two billion people. <laughs> I watched it live. Yeah, it was an amazing mm. feeling, and I just—it was a great day for me. It was one of the high points of my life, obviously, and it could have been the worst day of my life if I'd fallen off into the pit. You know, yep. that wouldn't be good. I, I remember when it started in <clears throat> London or whatever, and, and I was like, I have to get up at six in the morning to watch this? Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you did, I bet. I did, and then Status Quo came on, and I went, who the f are they? I've never heard of them, because no, I'm, I'm Canadian. Them. But I love them now, but oh, I was yeah. Canadian. I was young. I didn't know well, them. I knew them. I toured with them. <laughs> we toured with them. Francis Rossi was a god yeah. at that time. And one of the greatest singers, clever, simple, sexy, brilliant yep. rock and roll music, you know, and that's what I love. And that's what I think will happen again. You're going to get a new Francis Rossi. Absolutely. And new, you know, and, and that's a beautiful thing, man. Rock and roll forever. Yeah, terrific band. But, I, but I, I was 17 and I was Canadian. So I have an excuse for, for not knowing them back yeah. then. Yeah. Um, uh, there we go. Uh, detective, uh, detective, uh, out on uh, April twenty third, record store day, uh, as we say in Montreal. Merci, Monsieur Debar. Always, always a pleasure. We've done this before, and I look forward to doing it 
again. Oh, thank you so much, Detective. You guys check it out. This album, I, you know, really proud of it. And I'm so glad it's getting a reincarnation, a second chance, because it really is a great record. And I can say that from a distance. And it, literally, it's decades. And I hadn't listened to it in decades. And I listened to it in these last few weeks of this extraordinary event on all records it's coming out. And we would be so delighted. It's silver vinyl. Wow. So please enjoy the record and let me know how you feel on Twitter or Instagram and all of those things. Listen to my radio show, Little Stevens Underground Garage on Sirius XM Channel 21. Thank you so much for this interview. I love talking with you. Cheers. Merci bien. Now back to the Mitch Lafon and Jeremy White Show. We are speaking with uh, the duo of Bonham Bullock, the new album, of course, Bonham Bullock, coming out April 29th, available anywhere you can stream or buy. And as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour. How are you? Bonjour. Très bien. Bonjour. Merci beaucoup. Yes. <laughs> well, see? I love that. Um, so let, let, let us get right into this. Uh, now, for, for folks who are looking at the names, they're looking at Bonham, you're going, is that related to, to, to John or Jason? Yes, Deborah is sister and aunt. So, um, bonjour. Uh, talk to me quickly about, uh, about this album and uh, doing the whole blues thing. Yeah, well, oh, maybe I'll rock. Now, now the album, we... we uh... It, it was something we had been discussing for oh, maybe a, possibly from a couple of decades ago. We, we've been we've made about four albums together, and uh, with the band, right. we, we seem to be quite consistent with the same band and uh, Deborah and myself. And uh, we uh, decided uh, we, we've always written our own stuff, maybe the occasional cover version thrown into an album. Uh, but this time we decided to go the, the whole like it's kind of a songbook kind of idea, you know? And uh, so we, we had a bunch of uh, friends contributing and stuff with, um, uh, we ended up with amassing about a hundred songs to choose wow. from. So uh, then it whittled down, uh, mainly with Deborah's producer decided, because she knows the band so well and herself, obviously what band, what songs we could do justice to. So we whittled that down to 13 thinking we'd probably maybe just do about 10 in the studio. Well, we did all 13. <laughs> we had a blast at all 13. So uh, we we managed to bring something to it, you know. So because obviously, obviously these songs are, are by tremendous artists and tremendous yeah. songs already. So we had to offer something a bit new, a sort of sideways step to them so that it could be kind of a, 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 worth, a worthwhile listen rather than uh, you know, a worthwhile alternative to the original, which... In a, in a sense, would be arrogant to say you could better it. So we didn't better it. We did a, a different take on it. We did <laughs> so our take. We did our take, yeah. which, uh, which you know, with many years of being together, we, we've got a certain kind of swagger and a take on things anyway. So so that, that was kind of nice to sort of make it our own kind of thing. Now, ex explain to me, for the, for the fans that don't know it, what is your take? Because, you, the, again, you hear the name Bonham, you think Zeppelin, you're thinking a Foreigner, you're thinking Led Zeppelin Experience and Bonham the Band, and you're thinking hard rock, heavy metal. Um, for fans that want to <laughs> check this out, are they getting hard rock, heavy metal? I know yeah. the answer is no, but yeah. explain, what it, are they getting? You know, it, but it, it's... It's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because I mean it, you can you can hear bits of, of Zeppelin in there. Of course you can. I've grown up with it. It's in my blood. It's in my DNA. So I, you know, yeah, you can hear bits. But it's it's the the steeped in the blues part of Zeppelin that you'll hear. Right. The soul bit, the 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 blues bit, and, and that's what this is about. It's about blues, soul, rock, really. 
I mean, you can hear our influences in that, you know, free um, Humble Pie, Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, and also all of the old great Motown stuff, really, can't you? You can hear it. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the Motown sort of the Motown stuff is sort of it's an underlying sort of maybe hint in there, but uh, it's it's a it's a kind of blues rock album with the yeah. swagger of the late sixties, early seventies, Joe Cocker, yeah, Zeppelin, that, Humble Pie, sort of, Free, yeah. all those kind of guys from that there, even a bit uh, early Rush. Oh, hey! Well, speaking of uh, speaking of Rush, one of, one of your earlier albums, you had photography by Finn Costello, who had worked with Rush. Uh, just quickly. Uh, Talking about that six degrees of separation, how, how did you get him on board? Well, Finn, Finn is a, an old friend. He's from Ireland, uh, as I am. Right. And uh, he, he's, he's a few generations ahead of us, isn't he? But, uh, mm-hmm. but he's a great old friend, and he, he would uh, come and hang out with us. I can't remember how we actually really met, but uh, we did a lot of stuff together. And, uh, I met he, him through you. You met him through yeah. me, and, and there you go. I can't remember how I meet, met him. So usually with Irish men, they never know how they meet. So you can probably guess it was in a bar. I'd imagine it so. was with a beer or something. <laughs> so if you can't remember, then that's where it probably was. Uh, so he, he'd come yeah. over and stay with us and stuff. So and, then, and he'd come to shows and take photographs of us. And he had a rich history of uh, uh, photography and album sleeves. You know, he did uh, Deep Purple uh, a bunch of their albums that the made in Japan album was his, the yeah. burn cover, the little candles wow. and it's album kiss alive album. That was one of Finn's Ozzy Osbourne, Rory Gallagher, which was our hero in Ireland, you know, for, from the, the blues rock of Ireland. And, uh, and then of course he spent, Oh, cranky quite, quite a few decades with rush, big, big time with rush doing a lot of their photography and, uh, absolutely loved the guys. And funny enough, I just come off a tour with, uh, uh, Paul Rogers uh, as, as Debbie as well and our whole band we backed Paul Rogers and uh, it was with uh, some of Rush's crew so a guy called Scully who might yeah I know be- Scully you're kidding <laughs> no I know Scully he's uh, he he, uh, he gave me a tour of the Rush rig uh, in Montreal like oh fantastic years ago yeah you, everybody knows Scully in Canada <laughs> <laughs> a lovely guy. He, he, he truly is. Yeah, he he, he was terrific. Oh. It was it was uh, Russ Dwarf of the Killer Dwarves who who said, "Are you going to the Rush show? You got to meet Scully. Scully's my buddy." And he he, he hooked uh, it up so for me. There you go. I'm seeing Scully next month. He's coming over here with Jeff Beck next month. So uh, to the UK. Wow. So, uh, but he's in Canada at the minute. So he took good care of us, didn't he? He took real good care of us. Even though he wasn't working for us, he he just this whole. <laughs> This whole tour, everybody, everybody's crew just seemed to muck in. It was uh, Deborah Bonham, Paul Rogers, Jeff Beck, Anne Wilson, and it, we all went out and we did those. Um, but you were playing, you were playing with Paul. I was playing guitar with Paul Rogers. Yeah. I was playing with the guitarist from Jason's old band Bonham, uh, Ian Hatton. So I was wow. playing with Paul, and we were opening up these stadiums, just the two of us with a guitar and a voice, which was pretty okay, you know. Wow. So, it was, we went down a storm and we, we came up to Toronto. We played over in uh, Toronto and it was absolutely brilliant. So, uh, yeah, but you were playing with Paul Rogers, weren't you? you yeah, were, that, that was sorry. great because we got to uh, Jeff, Jeff Beck and Paul Rogers were uh, switching headlines each night, you know, so they call the term flip-flop, taking it in turns to headline. Yeah. So, uh, so some nights I had to go on after Jeff Beck. So that was... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that, that'll wake you up, of course. Oh yeah, and Anne Wilson was a hero of De- Deborah's. So uh, she had to, she had to go on stage before Anne Wilson, and then with uh, Anne at the side of the stage watching every night. I mean, wow. You know. Yeah, looking at it, going, "Go on, bitch." <laughs> wow. Well, uh, here, fun fact: the uh, the last female singer I interviewed was Ann Wilson about a month ago. So, Fantastic. See, uh, and of course, Paul Rogers is Canadian now. He got his uh, yeah. citizenship uh, eight nine years ago, I guess it was. Yeah. So, uh, so, so okay. So ex- explain to me your 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 path, then, Peter, because. You look at this and you look at the press release and the press release basically just says Deborah and Peter are married and here's an album and it doesn't give us sort of the the whole flavor of where you came from and how you cut your teeth so well not that I'm yeah. seeing but hey yeah. I'm old. Uh, well, I, came, I, came over from, I came over from Belfast in the 80s to England and uh, you know did, did a bunch of sort of uh, bar rock bands and stuff for you know, after playing in Belfast and stuff and going to see all the... the uh, we were starved a bit of music in Northern Ireland because of the Troubles and the, mm-hmm. you know... The IRA. Exposed, all that kind of stuff. So so very few people came over. So we watched me in the Irish bands, you know, Thin Lizzy, Rory Gallagher, Horse Lips, all that kind of stuff, who would come and entertain us at least once a year. Once a year. Uh, yeah, and then, and then uh, you know, you got over to England and you got to see... Any night there would be a dozen bands to choose from, and then I fell into a band. Was, you know, I was playing seven nights a week over there in England. Wow. But there was a wedding and uh, a friend's wedding at uh, mutual friend of Deborah and, and myself. So my gift to the the couple was our band played their wedding, and Deborah got up and sang with us. That was thirty two years ago, and we've never looked forward since. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. And and by the way, fun fact: since we mentioned Kiss, uh, Ireland is the one country they have not played ever. Well, so, well, probably they probably have enough explosions and pyrotechnics in Ireland to do them a lifetime. Really, don't yeah, they? it, it might cause some P- yeah. PTSD if if Kiss yeah. came and started blowing up. Yeah, can you imagine Kiss coming in, blowing up the stage, and the audience would sit there going, "Oh yeah, call out a bomb." <laughs> <laughs> We've seen some real ones. Um, Deb, just talk to, me, talk to me quickly about your family and your family growing up in a, in that musical environment. Um, was there a sense of um, not a let me let me back up and start here somewhere else. Were your parents very supportive of both you and your brother? Did did they buy you the drums and the microphone and the PA system and say have at it, or did you sort of sneak behind their back and go, all right, we're going off to a club now? How did that work? Um, I think John, yeah, they got him the, the drum kit. I mean, there's um, 14 years between me and John. And then I had a, uh, another brother, Michael, who was two two years younger than John, 12 years older than me. So they were very tight. Right. I was a kid sister. Um, and, yeah, John, yeah, they bought John a kit. I mean, it was pretty obvious he was drum crazy from when he was a baby. He was hitting pots and pans. So, yeah, they got him a kit. And they made him, you know, mom tried hard and got him a few jobs, you know. <laughs> so he had a proper job, but they didn't last a minute. Oh, so, sometimes they lasted all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. But he had a job in gentleman's outfitters for a while. Good God. Um, but, yeah, he did um, in our town. But, yeah, so. Uh, that that was that was in the 60s, though, wasn't it? Whenever uh, people were dapper dressers, you know, band members, you know, the time time of the small faces and all that, they yeah. dressed in real fine wear. 
Yeah. So I think dedicated followers. Of yeah. Fashion. So do you think John stayed with that job so that he could get cheap suits? No. <laughs> no, he didn't stay very long at all. But anyway, um, he wanted to look like the Beatles, so he worked in a. Oh, yeah. he wanted to look like he totally wanted to look like um, uh, Ray Davis from the Kinks, and then yeah. um, and then when the the, the sort of mid sixties happened, he got this big afro. And beads, and we had we we lived in quite a conservative little village, you know. So John would walk up with this flower jacket. My mom had a goatskin rug, and he took that, cut it up, made it into a into a, a waistcoat, and dyed it, um, sort of did all in different colours. <laughs> so he was always, you know, he was always doing something crazy. But yeah, they supported him. Yes, of course. Um, when I decided- but was your mom and dad musical as well? I mean, where where did this come from? No, well, they loved music, yeah. Okay. I mean, my mom, my mom could sing a bit, and um, she always wanted to sing, but, you know, she was born in 1926, and so um, she naturally got, you know, when she got into 20 or whatever, she got married and went down that road. Uh, but she loved singing. She did her first recording when she was 80, 80 years old. Um, so we got her a gig, and Pete played guitar on it, and uh, she got a gig um, with these this band of uh, over 70s, shall we say. Yeah, now this was about 20 years ago, and of course, you know, rock bands weren't in their 70s then. Of course, today, most rock bands are in their 70s, aren't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she, it, was called the, it was called the Zimmers, you know, after Zimmer frames. <laughs> so they did really quite well, and they did it all for age, um, age, age concern, concern a big yeah. a charity over here. So, yeah, she loved music, and my dad loved music. They would play some of the, the greats, you know. That's where John got his love of um, Gene Krupa from, from the – they would play Ben Goodman, uh, Glenn Miller, things like that. I mean, Gene Krupa was the – Krupa, Krupa and uh, – uh, what was I going to say? Um, Buddy Rich. Inspired, I should say, a lot of uh, a lot of drummers. So. Oh, yeah, Krupa, definitely, and, and Buddy Rich. And so, yeah, I – I think it was in it was in John anyway, but um, but mum and dad would play all of that, and they played Billy Holiday, and they played, you know, uh, X James, and you name it. They were they were into their, their music, so we had a good start. Um, and then John and Michael, as I was growing up, they went into the Beatles. Mom took them to see the Beatles when I think John was fourteen, Michael was twelve. They went to see the Beatles. She somehow managed to get front row seats, um, but they couldn't hear anything. It was just girls screaming like mad. And I think that that was when John had decided, yeah, well, I want to do that. And he did. He ended up playing with Paul McCartney many, many years later. So, What about you? What about me? Um, well, I was just saying, I mean, I just grew up with it. I mean, it was just, it was a natural progression for me because... I never grew up. <laughs> You're still um, working on it. Um, yeah. It's a long haul with him, yeah. But, yeah, it was just natural for me because, uh, you know, he went in, into that and then the next minute it, they were playing all the Motown and all the, uh, you know, all the great West Coast music and, and all the blues music. Him and my brother were so into their music. So I was a bit like a sponge taking this all in as a, as a kid. So it sort of was a natural progression for me. I just always wanted to sing. Yeah. Um, I had to stay on at school, and I didn't, um, I didn't really start to do it until, sadly, John had passed away. 
mainly because he wanted me to stay at school, um, as did mum and dad. And so I stayed there till I was 18. Wow. Then you have to follow your heart, you know. I mean, it was always going to be this. So, yep. yeah, it was a natural progression. Yeah. Follow your heart. Name good, great, great title for a song, by the way. Uh, yeah. Peter, you you've been touted by Paul Rogers as being a Paul Kossoff, uh, not a sound alike, but a a, a proper replacement. Uh, talk to me about that because uh, Kossoff is, of course, revered. Um, talk to me about tackling his guitar parts and 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 bringing an authentic authenticity to his parts, but also being Peter. Well, it was, uh, I got I got into Kossoff when I was about I don't know, seven years old. I got my first guitar. And uh, the, the records that we used to copy in our bedrooms were uh, like older aunt, aunties or uncles or babysitters records. And they were basically free and bad company and stuff like that. Uh, so the Kossoff thing, we myself and my uncle, who's three years older than me, we both got guitars at the same time. We'd sit and try and work out the songs and stuff. And then we got into the tone and trying to get the actual sound and then trying to get the vibrato and stuff. So it became a, a big thing, Kossoff's uh, playing at an early age, which was, I don't know, it was unusual, just purely by chance that Kossoff was the thing that we absorbed most of. And it, it wasn't until, you know, yeah, well, until many years. I mean, in, in the bands I played in, I, I haven't really done free songs before. Right. So, so it wasn't, I didn't sort of aim my life at being like Paul Kossoff. I absorbed right. anybody really that sort of, le that Les Paul, that tone, that sustain, that kind that of. Feel, that, really. that, that feel. That feel. So. Kossoff was probably my favourite of all those kind of things. So, uh, but we, we toured with Paul Rogers as opening act. And, and Paul clocks things, you know, he's, he's quite a, you know, he's, he's not, not kind of a party. He's always in, the th he always seems to be in thought or, you know, it's, and uh, he'd stand and watch us and so And it was, it was a few years later for, for some uh, charity things, for some animal sanctuaries that Deborah and uh, Paul's wife, Cynthia, Cynthia Carolook, who was uh, Miss, Miss Canada. Canada. She was Miss Canada, 1986, was it? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so that they became patrons of these animal charities. We'd be rescuing horses and dogs and donkeys and stuff, and we'd throw now, together. A you're rescuing dogs, or are they? Was he rescuing dogs? No, we, we were, were. We were. Yeah, we were. Oh, all, because uh, see, I'm I'm staring at two dogs back here, both rescued. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, oh fantastic. fantastic! Well done. We're staring at two rescue dogs oh, here I, as well. I will just say <laughs> that Cynthia does. She rescues a lot of cats. So she's, and they had a rescue dog too, but oh, she... Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, they rescue everything. Yeah, yeah they, 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 can, they, they rescue a lot. I, I would rescue cats if my eyes and nose and, and sinuses agreed with cats, but... And me, and me. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't, so I go with the dogs. <laughs> Paul, Paul and uh, Cynthia and their status can uh, can rescue many more creatures on a grander scale than we can, but uh, of course. Well, we've all got the same, you know, the, the same drive, and, and they're, they're incredibly generous when it comes to that. And they, they uh, think Cynthia and Deborah hatched a plan to, uh, uh, you know, said, you know, Pete loves Paul's music and all that kind of thing. Why don't we do a concert, you know, and do all the free songs and stuff? So, so uh, nobody nobody needed to work on me, but De Deborah told Cynthia and Cynthia worked on Paul and then Paul started quizzing me and he had watched me. So. And what, what he said about my playing was, he said, uh, I, I got the same... <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say it sounded like Kossoff. He said I got the same vulnerability of uh, uh, which was uh, a kind of fragile player. I guess it's a bit like Alex Higgins playing snooker, you know. 
Get me on a good bed, it's great, yeah. I, it's, <laughs> sorry, I was, I was just I was laughing because I just thought it was going to be a joke. It was. But what you said about my brain was, you shit. <laughs> no, but the fact that, that that Paul Rogers was talking about you're playing on any level is great. Yeah. I mean, he's played he's played with the best, and he can hire the best. I mean, he's played with Brian May and Paul Kossoff. I mean, what else what else do you want in this yeah. world? And I was the most expensive as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right it wasn't because I was cheap. I all the, all those <laughs> other guys you named did it for free. I did. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> you know uh, what? I think you've just told the biggest poor I know, in I know. Your life. Of course I would have done it. We were doing it for charity, Bozo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and so, so, charity as well, uh, so you definitely... Okay, that, that, well, that's that, well, that's for this load of bullshit joke that I'm doing now. Well, let me ask you, have you have you toured extensively with 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 Paul or, or just a few yeah. shows? Because I actually saw Paul no. in Canada about two, three years ago, stood next to him backstage... And if you were there, maybe I ran into you. Who knows? Yeah, well, the, the Jeff Beck show. The Jeff Beck, Paul Rogers, and Anne Wilson show. No, it was oh. a, 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 God, it was in northern Ontario. Uh, yeah, no, 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 the the Manawaki Fest. Or, anyway, it was it was Paul Rogers, Vixen, and Firehouse. What, what an incredible lineup. Vixen, Vixen oh, Firehouse, and Paul Rogers. Cher Ross. Vixen, Cher, Cher Ross. Yep. The, uh, yep. In Vixen. Yep. She's married to a mate of mine that played drums in the in the band that I used to play in. That when I met Debbie. Oh, what uh, band was that, that? That wasn't the, uh, the the down and outs with. Um, no, Joe, not that. Joe Elliott. No, long before down and outs. That was that was Joe Elliott's band. Yeah. yeah. Now, this was Paddy Goes to Hollyhead and uh, Dogs to More, way oh. back in the, the late eighties. Yeah, Dogs to More, great band. I love yeah, that. Yeah, how could anyone love a drunk like me? That was one of their greatest songs. <laughs> well, seriously, she's looking at me funny now, but it was a great song that was. <laughs> it, it was. The, the dogs, uh, those are one of those one of those bands that should have been bigger. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, but that, I think the singer enjoyed a, a drink too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, a lot of those bands that should have, could have been bigger, uh, you, you usually can blame it on one or two members who did something stupid, either piss off a, a record executive or drank himself into oblivion. So, Well, there was one night at Hammersmith Odeon, the, the singer, Tyler, he had uh, the, the band had given him an ultimatum and he, uh, about drinking and stuff. So they're on stage, Hammersmith Odeon, and uh, Tyler falls over. He goes, Arse of... Oh, we've frozen up. Oh, no. Yeah, tell us. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It, oh, it, oh. it froze up for a second. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the singer fell over on stage at the Hammersmith Odeon, banged his head off the drum riser and knocked himself out cold. And uh, Bam Bam, the drummer, he got... He got really upset with this, kicked the drum kit over and stormed off stage. It took, they cut, carried him off. Anyway, it turned out that he had actually given up drinking. He had knocked his water bottle over and slipped in the water. <laughs> so after all those years of drinking on stage, this never happened. It wasn't till he drank water that he, that he ruined the show. Oh, that's oh. hilarious. Oh, the, the, the road stories. Uh, real quick uh, with, the, uh, with this album, uh, we're, we're, we haven't been... We'll try that again. 
with this album, we have a major tour coming up this summer. Uh, quickly talk to me about that. And uh, are we coming over to North America at some point? We're hoping to. Uh, we, we start actually um, in 28th. The album comes out on the 29th of April. We start on the 28th. Um, and we're doing the UK up and down and Europe, uh, France, mm-hmm. Belgium, Netherlands. And then we're really hoping to come to... Uh, the states and to Canada in the fall. You know that's 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 the plan. We're really sort of reaching out to agents at the moment to, to try and bring us over, and we're talking to a few. So you know we're just hoping that that's going to happen um, because we we came that we've only as I said we've only been the once and we played Toronto and that was on the Paul Rogers Jeff Beck and Wilson. Tour, Stars Aligned Tour in 2018, but it was it was just so fantastic. So yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, we were there in North America for uh, I think we did about 11 weeks there with Paul Rogers on that tour. Yeah, we did. Wow. That followed on from a, a 10 week UK tour that we had done mm-hmm. just uh, in 2017. So that was. Uh, so it's time to get back and this yeah. this album. It's you know. The album's out, it's on Quarter Valley Records, comes out 29th of April. And, yeah, they've, they've been so supportive. They've been fantastic. So the next part is and – and they're based in California, so they're a, an American label. So, yeah, the next it's, – it makes sense for us to, to come over there. They also put out the, uh, the Paul Rogers Live at the Royal Albert Hall show, which was the, the end of our uh, British tour that we did of Free Spirit with Paul. So that uh, that did well for them as well. That got Billboard top three, I think. Wow. So, uh, two, I think. Was it two? Uh, yeah, oh, well. so. There you go. Top yeah. three, that'll be two. Wow. Talk to the fine folks at the Quattro Valley Records and tell them to set me up with a Paul Rogers interview. I haven't, uh, I've, in, I've interviewed Simon Kirk twice, but I haven't interviewed Paul. I've got to make that happen. Uh, there we go. Uh, as we say in Montreal, Merci album, of course, uh, Bonham Bullock. It comes out on uh, April 29th. Available anywhere where good albums are streamed or bought, Amazon, Spotify, and all that wonderful stuff. Uh, Merci, yeah. Stuff, yeah. Absolute and the, pleasure. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank you and so the, much. The Deborah DebraBonham.com website, that has all the tour dates, and it also has some links on how to buy the single or the YouTube channel to see the new video for the new single. All that well, kind let's of stuff. see here. We've got, uh, I've got all the links here. We've got uh, DebraBonham.com. We've also got Deborah Bonham one on YouTube. Deborah Bonham official on Facebook. Uh, Deborah Bonham, uh, follow her on Twitter. And of course, uh, Bonham Bullock, you can follow on Twitter as well. Look at that. I got them all in. Wow. Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> no, no excuse for not buying the album or watching the video or, <laughs> or buying a t shirt. <laughs> well, there's an excuse for the t shirt because you they're not made yet. Oh, no, they, well, they're, they're, they're in the factory. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. All right. yeah, get, the, get the T-shirts sent out, get the CDs, and, uh, and hopefully we'll have a CD. I'm an old school guy. I like to hold something, yeah. you know. It's on, it's on pre-order at the moment. You can pre-order it. You can order it. You get it 29th. You, you get it on the 29th. Then back in Ireland, we've got about 103-year-old kids making T-shirts for us now for... Uh, for a dollar a week. That's, that's the way to do it. By the way, I'll ask you this, and I'll finish on this. Rory Gallagher, we, we love Rory. Uh, North America, though, basically just goes, who? Uh, mm-hmm. Why do you think he didn't hit over here? I'm just asking for your yeah. opinion. He hated flying. So, 
That was that. That's one thing that did him in. But uh, he did. He did go to America quite a bit. Uh, there's an awful lot of uh, like a lot of American guitarists uh, really sort of revere Rory. Like uh, yes, uh, Slash. It's uh, it's one of Slash's favorite. Well, in fact, we named the two guitarists that come up most really, didn't we? It's it's Paul Kossoff and Rory Gallagher. Oh, Jimmy Page as well. Uh, but uh, you know, there's, there's a. <laughs> Jimmy Page. <Jimmy's me. laughs> Who's uh, Jimmy? Jimmy who? Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, yeah there's, that, there's that kind of core, there's that kind of core group. Yeah, but Hendrix is really well known, right? And so is Jimmy Page really well known. But, but <laughs> I'm digging a hole here, yeah. But I think the thing was, why isn't you, Rory so well known? I'm going to get you a shovel. Paul <laughs> probably isn't uh, terribly well known in America either, is it? Because they just no. had the – it was bad company that went huge in America, wasn't it, rather than fruit? <laughs> On Jimmy Page's label, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and That's you also uh, you owe you. Uh, I have a note here. It says you you worked or you opened a show for Uli John Roth, right? There, there's another band or another guitarist that never really made yeah. a big splash over here. Yeah, I. <laughs> well, he didn't. I, make, he didn't make a big splash over there. No, well, no, I mean no, the Scorpions no. did, but not Uli by himself. I mean nobody. When they're making top ten lists in Billboard, they don't put Uli on there, which is bizarre. I didn't. I didn't open up for Uli. I actually played with him. Wow! Didn't, um, we, open, didn't we open up with him? No, him? no. no I, I sang with him at uh, in Germany. Really? Oh, yeah. uh, he used part of our band. That was it. He had yeah. our keyboard player. Me and me and uh, yeah. No, I just it was just me. I remember I that we were all on a rock festival together on the same billing, and that's how the the link happened. Then that was it. And so, you, so you sang well, those Scorpion songs with Uli? No, we did, um, and I, I don't really do Led Zeppelin songs, but uh, we did Since I've Been Loving You. And, um, huh, yeah, and then we asked me to get up with him. It was some big festival in Germany, and he asked me to, to, to get up and do it with him. Um, and, yeah, it, yeah no, it, was, it, was, it was great. He was, he's a character. Yeah, real character, lovely yeah. guy, real yeah. character. After, after the festival, we went to. We were all hungry, and we went to, and we all had cans of beer and stuff. And Uli came with us, and we went to a McDonald's in Germany that was just closing down. And we went. I didn't. And we were in there. They did us and said, "Oh, you can't carry your beer in here." So I, we all handed our beer to Uli. And uh, who's vegetarian doesn't drink. And there we are, McDonald's. We we're bagging up all these loads of things. And uh, there's a big, there's a life-size poster of Uli in the McDonald's <laughs> inside, you know, because he's played the market square, the big open air thing in this. Uh-huh. And Uli comes in to get us carrying these beers, and they threw them out. Like, <laughs> they, security threw them. Oh God! Security threw him out of McDonald's because he had he was carrying cans of drink. And I told him and, not to go. And he's like, oh, this is the a life-size poster in McDonald's, oh. and he's getting marks I told him not to go with you That's guys. That's hilarious. Here, I'll 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 finish on this here. My my, my Uli story. He's out in Ottawa, and uh, I go pick him up at the hotel to bring him to the venue, and he's fully dressed with the stage regalia and the the hat and the whole thing. And uh, on the way to the venue, he says, "Is there a Walmart around here?" I go, "Well, of course, there's a Walmart down the street. It's Canada. Of course, there's a Walmart." He says, "I need some pillows for the buses." For the bus. So he, we go into Walmart. He's fully dressed in his stage gear. You know, feathers, the whole thing. 
and he's in the he's you know shopping around for 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 pillows and then he he says you know it's pretty hot tonight i think i'll need a, a fan for the stage so he goes by as a big square fan so he's carrying a fan and two pillows on there under his arms and he's at the cash and of course wouldn't you know it there's a Scorpions fan there who goes, oh my God, you're Uli John Roth and you're buying pillows. <laughs> and then they have this long conversation about Scorpions while the line is getting longer and people are going, we don't give a fuck, move along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was the greatest, it was the greatest moment ever. That was it. He's a complete character. He's out there, yeah. isn't he? He's just such a sweetheart. But He's the really best. He's the best. He took us for ice creams. Yeah. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah, as we were traveling to another time, we went with it. It was early, his manager driving a big Jag and Deborah and myself in the back seats. And uh, we, we pulled into this car park and had an ice cream van or something. We were, and we, we were just giggling because, ah, now we get ice cream. And he's a. Debbie and I like following behind, like we were following Daddy. <laughs> we were following Grandpa or something to get an ice cream. Very sweet guy. Sweet yeah, guy. absolutely. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Oh, there we go. We missed soundcheck at the at the, the gig that we were doing. We missed the soundcheck. I was waiting for him, but he he come to do his hair. So. He's <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, he said, well, I, I don't know where you've been. I said, well, I was waiting for you on the stage. He said, well, nobody called me, so I washed my hair. And I went, okay, well, it looks beautiful. You know? <laughs> oh, that was great. I actually, I got to see the uh, the sound check. He, he was doing... Uh, send me an angel by the Scorpions at Soundcheck, a song that he's never played on, has nothing to do with. And I was just like, wow, look at that. He's doing the big ballad. That is kind of cool. And he's, you know, guitaring it up. And, and I was like, wow, look at that. So there you go. Yeah, well, you were great. We did Since I've Been Loving You. And it was really, it was really great. Good guy. Bad, yeah. bad work, man, didn't they? And for, yeah, and for the, for the guitar buffs that listen to your show, is that his guitar had, I think it had nine strings. And, uh, yeah. and I think it had three, three octaves as well. I mean, he was doing Vivaldi Four Seasons as well. He did, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, that, and we were just, because the three octaves on that guitar neck, we were just thinking about all the dogs in the street are probably the only ones that can, once you get beyond the second octave, I think it's only the street dogs were able to hear the next bit of music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. What, what is that guitar called? The, uh, the Uli, uh, it's got a special name, that guitar, I'm forgetting. Anyway. Anyway, uh, Bonham Bullock available uh, April 29th, as we say in Montreal. Merci bien. That, this was fun. This was good. Thank you so much. I had a nine-string guitar once, but it was actually started out as a 12-string and it broke three. <laughs> what you need is a 12-string bass. Though. Whoever can play a 12-string bass to me gets uh, you know, chapeau, as we say in Quebec. Hats off yeah. for that. A, tri a triple-neck bass. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Lovely talking to you. And you too. So Thank you. Thanks for, so much for having yeah. us on the show. Say, say hi to Bob and Doug McKenzie, and we hope to get some stream through. <laughs> right, right, Bob and Doug. <laughs> hey, take off. <laughs> take off. Take off, you hoser. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Bonsoir. An all-new episode of the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.